Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Oh, good morning, spiritual adventurers. How wonderful to be able to connect with you all. I love you guys so much. I'm going to miss you guys not having our regular Saturday chats. Been uh, had quite the, the journey with one another. Why don't we uh, start today with just sharing a little gratitude for... Uh, each other. And so uh, let me just see. I'm sure more people will be calling in. Mike Milinkovich will not be on the call today. Uh, I'm not sure if Tom or Stephen will call in. I was a little sicky this uh, Wednesday, so I had to cancel class. I couldn't, uh, at the end of the day, I just could not hang anymore. Um, okay, so I see Chris Tompkins is on the phone. He's the only one that I know because. It says Arizona <laughs> on the talk shoe line. So who else is here? Uh, Amina, are you on the call? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Amina. Uh, Brian Bucchiarelli? Brian going once? Going twice? Okay. Lisa Lucius? Um, I'm here. Hi, Lisa. Sushant and I do? Yes. Uh, Patsy, Mar? I'm here. Hi, Patsy. Hi. Mar? Okay. Um, Tom, are you on the call? Yep, I'm here. Hi, Tom. Okay. Uh, I don't think Stephen is on the call. And so that would leave uh, one more person. Who am I not calling? I think it's everyone that's on the line tonight right now. Okay, cool. So we have Chris, Amina, Lisa, Sushant, Patsy, Tom. Patsy, is Mar going to be calling in or is she... I, 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 I believe so, yeah. Okay. She may just be running late. Got it. Um, my fantasy is that Mar met a wonderfully exciting woman last night at the at the Dyke March and is now halfway to Tahiti on her honeymoon. Um, yeah, she, alas, she was just stuck with me. <laughs> No, let me tell you something. No one's ever stuck with you, Patsy. <laughs> Patsy, why don't you go first? Uh, why don't you share the, start with the gratitude circle for someone in, uh, on the call today. We've got Chris, Amina, Lisa, Sushant, Patsy, and Tom. 
You know what? I think right now I'm most grateful that I have a I have a body that's working. And uh, when I think about all the years in which that wasn't the case, um, yeah, I just it just every day that I get up and I'm able to move about and conduct my affairs and uh, and and breathe on my own and uh, all of that just is. I'm just so appreciative for the blessing that that is. So today I think I'm most grateful for uh, a body that is working properly. You know, I have a uh, question. This is coming off of the, the discussion we just had in the previous class on true forgiveness. We uh, looked at the definition and the clarification of terms. Uh, on forgiveness, true forgiveness. And it was really beautiful. It's my favorite, I think it's my favorite section in the course. Um, And it really talks about how forgiveness is part of the illusion, but it's part of the illusion that takes us closer to God, takes us away from error and towards truth. Then we started talking about, you know, truth and what is the illusion and that the central character of the dream is the body. And we started talking about how true forgiveness is, you know, our function and how it can support us in releasing, um, sort of like releasing the idols and the hostages, the things within the illusion that we have, we give permission to have uh, power over our peace, peace of mind. And my question is, Patsy, after you know, we've done a lot of work these last two years, and we've had a lot of discussions, and you've shared a lot about, you know, the challenges that you've moved through, medical challenges in the body and stuff like that. And how do you think, like, I'm not even going to say God forbid because things happen. Like, if you were to have an experience in which you were having the appearance of illness again in some capacity in your body, how do you think that you might, or do you think that you might move through it in a different way. Uh, well, um, the to be perfectly honest, that's that's been the case for the past few weeks, and and uh, um, one of the ways in which I've moved through it differently uh, is um, to to not even really give it any public acknowledgement. I think what's you know. Uh, you asked me a question uh, maybe a couple of years ago about whether or not I thought it was possible that um, in term, when we were speaking about forgiveness, whether or not I felt as though for me the big issue was uh, being able to, for, you know, forgiveness ha- occurring in my body. And uh, that gave me a lot of food for thought, and I've it, it's, it comes up for me a lot. Um, and uh as i get deeper in spiritual practice the more i i recognize the relationship between what manifests in my physical body and what uh i might be holding on to um uh in the interior and uh i don't you know i, I honestly don't um one of the first things that that shifted in my thinking about illness and um and seeing a, a change in just my physical condition 
was to stop thinking of it as necessarily something bad. Um, and so even when it came to the issue of forgiveness, what I, I found myself forgiving was my thought process around the appearance of illness uh, versus even feeling like I had to forgive anything that was the appearance of illness. I don't know if that's clear speech or not, but um, in other words, it wasn't so much, uh, I stopped focusing on what the appearance was, whether it was cancer or the autoimmune issues that uh, I've had um, and some of this uh, repeating stuff that's happened around uh, my brain, which is uh, uh, a doctors have come to uh, recognize as something that's probably connected to the autoimmune stuff. And uh, and to instead forgive any sense that I have of um, there being wrongdoing in the body. I find that what's really happened with this whole process for me has been um, a willingness to 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 consider what the good might be that's come through the experience. And so I have a lot um, on that list at this point. I feel like uh, going through the experience has has caused an increase in compassion for me. I feel like it's uh, opened up the heart of a healer that I didn't recognize was even beating under there. Um, Having walked through the experience and knowing what that is, um, it, it's made me much more uh, open to uh, what others might be going through in their own journeys around medical things or just feeling stuck, period. Um, it's helped me recognize a relationship between uh, what I've been doing my whole life, which is acting as an artist, and and and, and having that be a conduit for healing. So um, I don't know if that's actually answering your question, but that I think mostly what's changed is my thinking around it. And a few weeks ago, um, I started to have what seemed to be the appearance of something returning with the the issues that had led me to have brain surgery uh, a couple of years ago. And so I've kind of been going back and forth for testing. And, um, you know, I, I, I can I say this definitively? I No, but here's my sense. My sense is that a lot of the positive um, uh, feedback that's been coming from medical professionals this time around, I feel, is directly connected to just a change in my whole perspective about even the, you know, the the significance of a physical body. I mean, I I get that I need this thing to move about in this paradigm, but uh, I, I don't think of it so much as my reality anymore. I just see it as a as a a channel for me to uh learn more about the truth of who I am and uh as a channel for me to uh acknowledge the grace that surrounds me. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think you answered that perfectly. And you know, why please someone remind me and let's just do a little prayer. Uh, at the end of class, and uh, just lift Patsy up. Really beautiful. Thank you, Patsy. Um, who else would like to go? Who else would like to share a little gratitude to about someone in class? And Mar, did you? Is that you that hopped on the call? 
Yeah, uh, sorry, I was a little late, but I'm here. It's okay. It's all good. This is Amina. Hello, Amina. Hi. So I would just like to share some gratitude for Sushant. Um, He came to my performance on Wednesday. Well, not my performance, the performance I hosted on Wednesday at the Scarball, and it was really great, and he loved it. And it was just, he's such a bright light. Like, everybody notices him, you know. He's just, his light is so contagious, and his enthusiasm and his brilliance is so apparent. And so it was really fun to have him there in at the Scarball in kind of a small um foyer space before we went into the performance and like I got to introduce him to all my coworkers and it was a small group. So like I think he just kind of kind of sparkled <laughs> to everyone. Like everyone noticed him. And uh it was nice. And it was really um he's been um really helpful um in other ways. I, I was having a rough, rough day on Monday and I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to stay in it, but I didn't want to give it, I didn't want to ignore it, but I didn't want to stay, stay in it. And I just texted him and said, I had a hard day. And I just really needed to say that to somebody and um, and just cry a little bit. And his response was, I'm sorry you had a hard day. And then his question was, how do you feel? And I was able to share my upset and then I was really, really immediately able to shift to feel, uh, recognize and share how I felt good about other things that had happened that day and things that I was excited about. And um, it really helped me because I think if I hadn't reached out to him, I probably would have stewed in it and just stayed feeling how I was feeling um, all night. And I didn't, so... Thank you, Sushant. Yeah, you know, Sushant actually translates into sparkle. Right? It is a native language, yeah. It's powerful. Um, <laughs> I, will second, I will second that emotion. Sushant is definitely, well, I think everyone on this call is the light, truly. Different colors of a light, but yeah, Sushant is uh, definitely a bright light. So, beautiful. Who else would like to share? Well, this is Tom, and I am so grateful, really, and truly for everybody here on the call for helping to support me and supporting everybody here, we support one another, but I'm also so grateful for Amina for just being there sometimes and just being a a presence uh, in the community. And so many times when she's not there at service, I feel I wouldn't say I well I would probably say a little bit lost for lack of a better word, but I wanted to say, you know, I like, I value Amina's presence uh, as well as everybody. And when people do not show up at service, I feel lost uh, 
without their presence there. And I just really want to say that from the heart. And uh, just knowing, you know, as I'm looking out my window and seeing the wet streets out here from uh, this morning's drizzle and stuff, just that we're all in it together, and I want to say thank you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful, guys. So, unless somebody has a burning desire to share a little love, going once, going twice. All right. Uh, let's move on. We're going to actually go into some review, not just of this module, but of all modules. So our first review is of affirmative prayer. And so I'm going to invite Chris Tompkins to open us up using the God's method, the G-O-D-S method for prayer. Chris, all you. Okay. Dear God, I am just really grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to come together with with everyone in class and to share in this conversation and to just really listen and connect to one another, connect in the truth of of our beings and what we know and, and what we are experiencing in our lives. And I just offer up this call I offer up the conversation and and know that whatever is discussed is the perfect discussion and the perfect thing that we need to hear in each of our individual lives and, and in our collective lives. And I declare this conversation to be a blessing on all of us and the lives that we interact with outside of this call. And I just share this knowing and share this truth with myself, and I share it for the group, and I share it for the collective. And I'm grateful and thankful, and so it is. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, Chris, talk a little bit about affirmative prayer. What are some of the key elements to affirmative prayer, and how is it different than perhaps the traditional Christian prayer that you grew up with and how do you use it in your life? The difference between affirmative prayer and the prayer that I grew up knowing is one is declare like you're declaring something that that you're knowing to be true so it's kind of bypassing the the need or the want of it, meaning that you don't have it or it's not there, and so affirming affirmative prayer is where you're you're standing and it's already here, and so um, you're connecting to that. And the prayer that I grew up knowing was more of a submissive, please give me, I'm not worthy of having. Um, 
And so affirmative prayer is, is kind of standing and already knowing that you're worthy. It's connecting to the energy of that. And um, how I use it in my life is, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, prayer is definitely one of my spiritual practices. My, my, you know, I, I pray all day. And so um, I find myself sometimes going into the prayer that I knew growing up and then I have to like course correct and kind of restate that prayer, but in a more affirming way. Um, so it's definitely a, a training that, you know, for me in my life has required a constant kind of um, shifting of that prayer. Beautiful. And how do you use affirmative prayer or as a treatment in your spiritual counseling sessions? When do you use it and how do you use it? Um, well, I use it in the beginning, uh, opening. You know, we kind of open with a prayer and close with a prayer. And it's how you use it is, is kind of... Um, grounding as a as a means of kind of grounding in the session um you know kind of creating a container for the the session um and then closing kind of with just the affirming of the truth so whatever was discussed um kind of closing with just a, a blessing kind of thing. Beautiful, yeah. Now, here's what I really encourage everyone to contemplate as you use spiritual mind treatment, which is affirmative prayer in your counseling sessions. I invite you to really bring it home in the closing prayer. So give yourself enough time to really go into the declarative statements of your affirmative prayer at the end of the session. So in being fully present, you know, the opening prayer is a blessing and it also is the opportunity to hand over your session to the Holy Spirit. So you are mentally reminding yourself and inviting Holy Spirit to take over that you're not doing it God is. And at the end of the session, it's a great opportunity to take in all of the information that you've gathered in connecting with the person. And then you have a really good opportunity to offer up the challenges that they're moving through and then deep the experience in declaration. So you really, really spend a lot of time in God. And you're really, what you're doing, you're just golden keying the situation at that point. So you're just declaring what God is. We're going to read a section from Living the Science of Mind on prayer. And it's, uh, it's one of my favorite sections in the reading on the section Belief, Faith, and Prayer. So we invite everybody to take out uh, a paper and a writing utensil, your journal, a writing utensil. I'll give you 30 seconds to do that. 
I'm going to invite you to trot down some notes as I read so we can discuss some of the main points after the reading's done. It's about a two-and-a-half-page read, so uh, I invite you to listen mindfully, deepen your listening, take some notes, and we'll discuss after. All right. Um, Right here is where prayer comes in. And of course, we are thinking of prayer in its broadest connotation and its most realistic meaning. We are thinking of prayer as the communion of the soul with the oversoul, with the divine creative presence, which is not only in the soul, but which is the soul. It is more than the individualization. It is also a universe, universal, universal, universality. Prayer in its truest sense is not a petition, not a supplication, not a wail of despair. It is rather an alignment, a unifying process which takes place in the mind as it reaches to its divine self and to the power which is greater than human understanding. In the act of such prayerful and reverent communion with God, one senses the unity of good, the completeness of life, and at times the veil of doubt is lifted and the face of reality appears. This consciousness, which has been referred to as the secret place of the Most High, is an experience rising out of the conviction that God is all there is, beside whom there is none else. Prayer, then, is communion, and this communion pronounces life to be good. Prayerful communion ascends to that place where unity has not yet become variety, where the unformed one is ready to take any specific shape. In this act of communion, the individual becomes co-partner with the eternal and gives birth to time, space, and condition. But what could Jesus have meant when he referred to fasting in connection with prayer. It seems evident that he was not necessarily referring to a physical fact, for one of the accusations laid against him was that he drank wine with sinners. He was also accused of breaking the Sabbath by permitting his disciples to pluck corn on the Sabbath day. In fact, he seemed to disregard many of the outward forms which were common in his day. He referred to some deeper principle which physical fasting was intended to symbolize. This is not what he meant when he said that it was not sufficient to make the outside of the platter clean. And again, when he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the highest kingdom of heaven. Perhaps by fasting and prayer, Jesus meant such a complete consecration to the ideal that the creative genius of the universe passed immediately into self-expression through man's imagination. Such a high altitude of thought could not be described other than by using the symbol of fasting and prayer. And possibly, that is why Jesus used it. Suppose we call fasting a determination to refuse further contemplation of the negative. This would be passing from death into life, from negation into affirmation, from denial into acceptance. In this transformation of thought, through faith and belief, the communion of the soul 
with its source would become a pronouncement rather than a petition. This is the position which the enlightened of all ages have taken. I'm going to read that part one more time. This would be passing from death to life, from negation into affirmation, from denial into acceptance. In this transformation of thought, through faith and belief, the communion of the soul with its source would become a pronouncement rather than a petition. This is the position which the enlightened of all ages have taken. If a person feels that the act of physical fasting is necessary to the consummation of such a devout communion, let him fast, and no person should be so rash as to deny him his privilege. If, on the other hand, he feels that he is not fighting his way but singing a song, let no one deny him the joyous pathway to freedom. For sooner or later, all must discover that it is neither fasting nor feasting, but belief, faith, and acceptance which cause one to transcend the lesser good and ascend into the holy mount within where the eye views the world as one vast plain and one boundless reach of sky. We must never forget to make a practical application of this science. In our philosophy, it is not enough merely to state a principle. We must apply such a principle to our every living to our everyday living, and wherever a need appears, we must meet it, not by accepting the inevitability of such a need, but by affirming its exact opposite. The need is met when we no longer recognize it is a need, but seeing through it envision the principle which could just as easily remold the need into an acceptance of good. Therefore, we are told to think on whatsoever things are true, lovely, and of good report. We should dwell on these things rather than on their apparent opposites. To put this into practice should be the desire of every sincere seeker after spiritual truth. He must come to the belief that there is a divine power awaiting his use. He must fully understand that he is the one who knows how to use it. And then he must proceed definitely to make use of this power, which is within all men. In actual practice, one's life should become a continuous communion with God. One's mind should be continuously acknowledging the presence of, God, of good and the power of good in one's experience. A practitioner should acknowledge the power and presence of this good in the experience of the one he seeks to help. For the acknowledgement of good is a creative act, making possible its manifestation in human experience. We should fast from the idea of lack and feast with the idea of plenty. We should fast from the idea of poverty and feast upon the belief in wealth. And most surely we should abstain from contemplating uncertainties. Let me read, read that. And most surely we should abstain from contemplating uncertainties and enter into a long and eternal period of feasting upon certainty. And when the world cries, whither goest thou, something within us should answer, we know in whom we have believed. Okay, I'm just going to skip and read one last paragraph. What does all this mean other than that we should learn to have confidence in life, to believe in the internal goodness, and to accept the divine bounty? 
This transformation of thought from negation to affirmation is seldom instantaneous, so one must maintain a flexibility of thought, being willing to bend somewhat before the storms of life, but refusing to break. One's thought should have an elasticity, which permits it to spring back into place, but it cannot do so unless it's first fully convinced that it does not know in whom it has believed. Unless it is completely convinced that the universe is a spiritual system governed by a beneficent consciousness. So I am going to allow Amina five to seven minutes to facilitate the conversation on this reading and affirmative prayer. And uh, Amina, why don't you begin by just offering some of your own thoughts and perspective on the reading, anything that stood out to you, and then open it up and facilitate the conversation. I'm going to set the timer and begin. Thank you, Jesse. Um, this is such a good reading, and it's a great reminder. I think you know, we we all use the affirmative prayer, and we kind of know, but sometimes we don't remember how important it is to use it all the time and to really believe it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I had underlined before and wrote in the margin, so in actual practice, one's life should become a continuous communion with good. And what I have in the margin is my life is a prayer, a living spiritual practice. And it just reminds me, because, you know, that's my aspiration and it, it, it doesn't always look like that. But that's the goal, is to keep that, high vibration of thoughts present at all times and you know as we are reminded so often in this text it is done unto you as you believe and the more we believe the more we utilize this um, technology of affirmative prayer the more results that we have Um, so yeah I um I'm really, really grateful for this teaching, and um, it also makes me think of the way we start the affirmative prayer with gratitude, looking at what is working, looking at the goodness at all times, and keeping that forefront in our minds um, as we as we begin any prayer or any activity. It's just and like Patsy was saying before, finding the good in her challenges of medical experiences that she can actually be a gift and a benefit um, and and growth that has come from that. Um, So does anyone have anything they'd like to share about this section or affirmative prayer? This is Chris. Amina, that was a. I loved the word you used, technology. Um, that was a really like when you said that word. I was like, oh yeah, like that's a good way of putting it. Like it's a, um, it's a technology, really. Yeah. Yeah, it it is, and it's um, it's something that it's it's spiritual law, right? It's something that we can all use, but we have to actually use it. Right. And it works whenever we use it. Any other thoughts, Chris? 
what stands out to me is um, when whenever something comes up and you're um, to be flexible in your thought, to be accepting of the good, even though it might appear to be uh, something else, um, to always be open to seeing it as good. Kind of like what, you know, Patsy was saying. And, um, yeah, that's a a goal. And uh, it's good to be reminded of that. Yeah, Lisa, and there was something else in that part about flexibility. Do you remember that? what that was? There's another uh, aspect to the flexible mind. Um, I had written down confidence, accepting divine bounty, and flexible of thought. That's what I wrote down. Yeah, and the flexibility part of that is recognizing that this is not immediate. This shift is goes in stages, and sometimes we appear... To, to fall back, right? So we have to, to be gentle with ourselves and flexible knowing that we're going to ebb and flow, but yet we still want to hold ourselves accountable to actually committing to the work, but just understanding that it's not always going to be like a light switch and we're, we're never going to forget, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely not be hard on yourself. Yeah. yeah. That would defeat the purpose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Did you have any other thoughts that you want to share? Um, no, nothing's coming. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? <laughs> Hey folks, Brian here. Hi, Brian. I uh, was a little late on the call, but I came in when Reverend Jesse was reading. My younger brother, Philip, was here today, and his wife, Bonnie, my sister-in-law, is in the final stages of her cancer, her lymphoma. She's uh, on the way out. She will be transitioning fairly soon. Um. The entire time, however, she is so grounded in spirit as the core of her being that she is not suffering. She maintains a a very positive, calm attitude. She knows the process. She knows the light. She knows the love. So her strength in that is uh, comforting for all of us and gives us all strength. Um, and yeah, the tool of affirmative prayer of affirming, even in the face of death, our eternal life connection with source, with the divine love that is the source of our being. And in our family, that love is so, so strong and our faith foundation is so strong 
even if we call it familial love, it's still we acknowledge that it is of the spirit. So I, I missed the first part. I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what the, we're, we're reading, uh, but I will catch up shortly. And uh, so thankful to be here and to be grounded in this loving spirit. And I affirm the fabulousness of the whole process. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. I'm glad you're here and sending all of our love and blessings to your family. Beautiful. And we're going to stop there. And um, beautiful work, everybody. Wonderful, uh, wonderful conversation. And I mean, why do you call it a technology? Why is it a technology? Affirmative prayer. Well, it is a it is a tool. It is a system. It is something that is there's a, a formula, a format, and so when you use this, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not really getting the words, but when you use this thing that works, it actually works. You use this process, it works. It's like any law or any tool that you have. It does work if you use it properly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And it is the most advanced technology that we have at our disposal. Because it's just straight, straight connection to God, and God power is the only power. Just plugging yeah. into that God power, that one mind, that allness. Yeah, so I'm just entering in for a second. So, what are a couple elements, and this is to the group. And Amina, you're more than welcome to share. And hello, Brian. Good to have you on the call. What are some important elements to an effective mind treatment, affirmative prayer, that um, on the behalf of the practitioner, what needs to be there in the practitioner in order to ensure an effective mind treatment? I think belief. Bam, right on the head, yeah. Talk more about that. I think that it's important to really believe what it is that you're affirming for um, because I look at it, I mean, it's it's like from an energy standpoint, you know, it's the energy that you're bringing and for the person and on their behalf. And if you don't believe it, then I feel like they're going to experience that energy. Um, and when you can connect to that energy of belief, it's just, it's it's so strong and and, you know, belief is knowing. And uh, 
and that's the whole, I think, purpose of the technology of affirmative prayer. Yes. Ernest Holmes repeats several times that the efficacy of the treatment will be based on the belief of the practitioner. So, in other words, your prayer is more potent if you believe that it's true. <laughs> if you're not just giving lip service or repeating something, you know. Like, if you really believe it to be true, like, that's, that's why Jesus was so effective, because he knew the truth. He just knew the truth. There wasn't a question. There wasn't a, I'll put this up there and cross my fingers. There wasn't a, you know, I'm just saying this because this is what I was taught to say. This is how I was taught to pray. This is a, I know the truth and I refuse to be bought into your story, including I refuse to be bought into your story that you can't walk just because someone is called you crippled. I refuse to buy into the story that you're dead just because someone pronounced you dead. Please. I know the truth. And so he just knew it so deeply that he was able to meet at the level of the mind with the person he was knowing it about. And their willingness to believe matched his knowingness. And what unfolded was a physical miracle. But remember, a miracle is anything that grows from love. You know, Jesse, I don't know if this is a step in, like a step towards that, but sometimes I ponder um, that belief is the real, is the actual reality over what we're seeing. That actually, actually um, thinking that the belief is the reality, not the what you're seeing with your physical eyes. I, I often ponder that sometimes. I remember a conversation that my husband and I had before we got married, and uh, I don't want to say this is when I was sort of vetting him. <laughs> but, you know, Chris was really getting used to dating a minister, and, you know, the way we talk is very affirmative. We stay focused on what we're interested in experiencing, what we believe. And Chris, obviously, is not an idiot. He understood that. And he was a spiritual man himself. And he had to practice. And so he was vibing it. And he used to always say, that's fine and good. But when he was really stressed out, he'd say, yeah, but in reality... And I remember I paused him once and I said, can we stop using that phrase, but in reality, when we're talking about what's not working? Like, that's well and good, but in reality, you have to do this. Well, that's fine, but in reality, you got to do this and this, or in reality, that's going to happen. And I said, because it's not reality. Reality is, the reality is usually what we're not seeing. So you're absolutely right, Lisa. We are holding the space for truth. 
A Course in Miracles will use the word vision. And we do not see with vision. We see with physical sight. God's vision transcends that which we can see in the physical realm. So it transcends the illusion. So we practice forgiveness. We do this work in order to remove the blocks or unlearn the conditioning so that we can align with God's vision and transcend the appearance of limitation. And so disease, financial burdens, um, you know, relationship crisis, all of that is at the level of the material world. And though it feels real and it seems real, the reality is that God is. Love is. And what can be all-encompassing can have no opposite. So nothing unreal can exist. So anything that energizes separation or fear is simply an illusion. It's an illusion. And so we are not... It's like we're saying, enough of the illusions, all right? We're standing in truth. And I know the truth. I know that God is all there is. I know this. Even though I don't experience it all the time, I know it and I'm willing to experience it all the time. And so we are going for the ultimate reality. Not the illusion of separation. And, you know, listen, a lot of people, most people, because we have been conditioned to think in a different way, will argue that's fantasy. And yet, we've seen, at least I've, you know, been able to experience in my own life, and I've seen it in the lives of my teachers, what's possible when you don't buy in to the most common story. When you transcend it, Miracles unfold. They just do. And I know that. So I can, I can affirm that with deep conviction, with knowing this, not even belief, but knowing this. And I know it's possible when people believe in themselves. I know it's possible when people, I know what happens when people stop looking at what isn't working and start focusing on what they're interested in. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in each and every one of your lives. And so I know it's true. I know it's effective. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface of possibility. And I know that's true too. So when I'm with a client, when I'm counseling somebody, and they're sharing with me everything that's not working in their life, I listen compassionately and I, re- and I ask them, I begin to just simply ask them what it is that they're interested in. And we just shift the focus towards that. And then when we pray out, when I do the mind treatment, I affirm the truth of them. I know that where, let's say, we'll use the word Heather. I know that where Heather is, God is. I know that everything is unfolding exactly as it should for Heather's highest good because what else could be possibly unfolding in the mind of God that knows all things? I know that deep wisdom, all the wisdom of the universe dwells within Heather, and is ready to activate and express now. I know this to be true. I know that there is the 
I know that love is ready to express in all of her relationships and shine. I know this. I know it. What needs to happen? Heather needs to change her mind. So I'm just going to remind her of the truth, affirm the truth, affirm the truth, affirm the truth. And I'm going to know it so deeply that if Heather is willing to believe it, we will meet at the level of the mind that she will experience transformation. And just me knowing it for her begins the process of transformation. And then like we've discussed as we've reviewed the teachings in A Course in Miracles, we need to step out and release our attachment to the, uh, the results, what we think it should look like what the miracle is supposed to look like. Beautiful insights, Lisa. Beautiful sharing, you guys. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to share about affirmative prayer or question about affirmative prayer, spiritual mind treatment? So I'm going to invite everyone to consider that when you're doing your counseling sessions, end five minutes early and devote the last five minutes to the mind treatment, to the prayer. End five minutes early and devote the last five minutes to the prayer. So be in prayer for five minutes. Sometimes it will feel like a really long time. Other times it will flow by. Spend the majority of the time in the declaration, in D, because that's where we're aligning with truth, aligning with God's will. And Thank Brian, you, Jesse. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and um, for the offering part, we really want to let go of the blocks, the things that the the client has expressed, you know, fear or concern around. Yeah, it's acknowledged that you've been listening. Yeah, right, right. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to necessarily get into specifics as long as it's, you know, clear that you've been present with them. Thank you. So, Brian, since I know you, have, you had this conversation uh, within the last week or two, uh, I think Brian and Amina, in two minutes, 90 seconds or less, can you tell us about God's will? What are the, some elements of God's will? Amina and I or just me? <laughs> Whatever unfolds. <laughs> God's will is one with God's nature, can't be different, and it is the expression of love. The will of God is love. The will of God is the manifestation of love, and manifesting means creating, means emitting. And so we are manifestations of that. We manifest, create, spread love. It is who we are. It is our deepest calling. Amina, what is it 
what does Course in Miracles mean when it says our will and God's will are one? We can't be separated from God's will because we can't be separated from God. And what's the simplest way of saying what God's will is if you were going to share that with a client or a student? Of course, the miracle says God's will is your perfect happiness. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. Course in Miracles says that God's will is your perfect happiness. And how do we experience perfect happiness? By aligning with love, by choosing to be happy, by going yeah. towards the things that make us feel happy and fulfilled and expansive and joyful and loving. Can a convertible can a convertible car make you truly happy? Not truly happy. It can probably bring you some enjoyment, but it's not going to be the life-filling happiness uh-huh. necessarily. Can a new job make you truly happy? Uh-huh. Not truly happy. Not. I mean, it's not going to make you happy for every moment of your life. It's not going to be the source of your happiness. It can mm-hmm. be a source of fulfillment and a source of being of service. And if you're doing something in service, then that can help with your happiness. But it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to solve all of your problems. True, true happiness can never come from anything outside of you or from anything that has anything to do with time. Because time passes, everything changes. The new car becomes old. The, we get bored with our job. Anything having to do with time itself can never bring us happiness. And so stepping out of time, stepping into love, that timeless space, is the only place where we can find true joy. Well said. Beautiful. And I think on that, we're going to take... uh, Did did someone else have something to say? I really like the part that Amina said about fulfillment like something can bring you fulfillment but that happiness that lasting happiness is not in that thing so that word fulfillment really stuck out for me yes beautiful God is our source and that we're happy because we're connected with the source, all these other things are just channels that, that they come out uh, through, but they, uh, if we have to, rem- if we remember the source is God and all these other things, whether it's a new job, a new car, or whatever it is, those are just mere channels, uh, and it's not the river itself. Beautiful. All right, everyone. It's 1130. I'll meet you back here at 1140. Nine-minute break.
Okay, we are B-A-C-K. Oops, I just exited out of Safari. Let me just get back in there. So, uh, did you guys have fun at Pride last night? Who who uh, came out? Any fun stories? Interesting happenings around the Pride... Uh, I think it was just, like, great to see all the people and just, like, the diversity. Um, and then, like, you know, meet up with, like, other practitioners that were there. And it was cool to see, like, everyone just having a good time. I think I um, saw Heather, Judith, and then Patsy and Mar and Heidi Parks, um, uh, Cassia... And it was just, like, fun, like, being there together. And obviously I ran into you, Jesse, and Chris, your husband. So it was, it was really nice. I, I was just, like, in sort of, like, taking this in, like, wow, this is, like, a celebration. And, like, you know, just seeing the lights and this feeling of, like, this is, like, our neighborhood. This is our peeps or, you know, just. It felt really good. Yeah, I actually was going to apologize to you because I feel like by the time I saw you, that was at the end of the night, and I was just like, <laughs> I was like, anyone in, be- anyone in between me and my bed is just a block, and I am off yeah. up right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I totally, I totally got that. That's why I was like, go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, Sushan. Okay, good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But even, like, you know, seeing the, I, I think, because I got there pretty late, and uh, I think, like, everything was pretty much, like, done in terms of, like, boots and stuff. But just to see, like, the boots, like, of the trans, uh, you know, it's like the trans station. And I was just thinking of, like, you know, how in the community we've had, like new members joined the community from uh, the T part of the LGBT, and I was just thinking of them, thinking like, wow, you know, like Inspire, the community is growing, and so it was cool. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up. I actually am looking for um, a couple people to uh, help work the booth at Trans Pride, which is next. Saturday, and I believe, look at all the details. I don't think it goes very late. I think it only goes, like, we only have a table until, like, 6 o'clock. So it's from, like, 12 to 6. And um, so if you're interested in exploring that possibility, let me know. And uh, I believe you still have time to go home and change. And if you're going to Silky's wedding, you can still... I don't know. Anyways, if you're interested in volunteering, working the table for a trans pride next Saturday, uh, keep me in the loop. Uh, Jesse, I'll totally do it because I was planning on going anyway. Oh, great. Perfect. I'll I'll let you know uh, when and how and all that stuff. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Sushant. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Okay. So, let's 
get into this course that I love. It's miraculous. Appropriately entitled, The Course in Miracles. So we are in... Manual for Teaching. And... Okay, great. So this is great, and this is the perfect section for today because we were just talking about spiritual mind treatment. And we're on page, on section 21 in uh, Manual for Teachers, what is the role of words in healing? What is the role of words in healing? So I'll give you a second to get there. Section 21, it's page 53 in the Manual for Teachers. Okay, so um, starting the reading today, uh, why don't we start with uh, Lisa? We'll start. Let's see how many paragraphs are there. Five paragraphs. Okay, so let's just have three readers. We'll go Lisa, and then Brian, and then. Patsy, Lisa, Brian, and Patsy. And everyone else will just read along. Um, and then uh, we'll discuss at the end. So please uh, have your highlighters out and take some notes, anything that stands out to you. Whenever you're ready, Lisa. Okay. Strictly speaking, words play no part at all in healing. Motivating factor is prayer or asking. What you ask for, you receive. But this refers to the prayer of the heart, not to the words you use in praying. Sometimes the words and prayer are contradictory. Sometimes they agree. It does not matter. God does not understand words, for they were made by separated minds to keep them in the illusion of separation. Words can be helpful, particularly for the beginner, in helping concentration and facilitating uh, the exclusion or at least the control of extraneous thoughts. Let us not forget, however, that words are but symbols and uh, words are but symbols of symbols. They are thus twice removed from reality. Brian? Ah, sorry, I was on mute. Uh, As symbols, words have quite specific references. Even when they seem most abstract, the picture that comes to mind is apt to be very concrete. Unless a specific referent does occur to the mind in conjunction with the word, the word has little or no practical meaning, and thus cannot help the healing process. 
The prayer of the heart does not really ask for concrete things. It always requests some kind of experience. These specific things asked for being the bringers of the desired experience in the opinion of the asker. The words then are symbols for the things asked for, but the things themselves but stand for the experiences they are hoped for. The prayer for things of this world will bring experiences of this world. If the prayer of the heart asks for this, this will be given because this will be received. It is impossible that the prayer of the heart remain unanswered in the perception of the one who asks. If he asks for the impossible, if he wants what does not exist, or seeks for illusions in his heart, all this becomes his own. The power of his decision offers it to him as he requests. Herein lie hell and heaven. The sleeping Son of God has but this power left to him. It is enough. His words do not matter. Only the word of God has any meaning, because it symbolizes that which has no human symbols at all. The Holy Spirit alone understands what this word stands for, and this too is enough. Lisa? Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Is the teacher of God then to avoid the use of words in his teaching? No, indeed. They are, there are many who must be reached through words being as yet unable to hear in silence. The teacher of God must, however, learn to use words in a new way. Um, Gradually, he learned how to let his words be chosen for him by ceasing to decide for himself what he will say. This process is merely a special case of the lesson in the workbook that says, I will step back and let him lead the way. The teacher of God accepts the words which are offered him and gives as he receives. He does not control the direction of his speaking. He listens and hears and speaks. A major hindrance in this <clears throat> a major hindrance in this aspect of his learning is the teacher of God's fear about the validity of what he hears. And what he hears may indeed be quite startling. It may also seem to be quite irrelevant to the presented problem as he perceives it, and may in fact confront the teacher with a situation that appears to be very embarrassing to him. All these are judgments that have no value. They are his own, coming from a shabby self-perception which he would leave behind. Judge not the words that come to you, but offer them in confidence. They are far wiser than your own. God's teachers have God's word behind their symbols. And he himself gives to the words they use the power of his spirit, raising them from meaningless symbols to the call of heaven itself. Bam. Oh, my God. All right. Patsy, you're facilitating this conversation. Uh, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock, um, 30 seconds of your own perception, anything that's up to you, a little more if you'd like, and open it up to conversation whenever you're ready. Okay. 
Well, this is really powerful. Um, there are so many things here I was highlighting, and uh, uh, the three things in particular that really stood out for me were uh, in the first section, uh, where it says, God does not understand words, for they were made by separated minds to keep them in the illusion of separation. And then where it says, words are but symbols of symbols, which we've heard repeated in this class many times. Uh, they are thus twice removed from reality. Uh, the words then, in number two, at the, at the end there, it says, the words then are symbols for the things asked for, but the things themselves but stand for the experiences that are hoped for. Um, uh, I, that was powerful, not just in its own text, but also it reminded me of the the New Testament, uh, the, the biblical definition of faith as being uh, the substance of things hoped for. Um, the evidence of what is yet unseen. So um, I'll, I'll open it up. Is there uh, anything that left out for anyone else? Anything you'd like to share about this? Uh, just to say that I'm coming to realize this more and more. It's just, I don't know, it's been a progression especially since I started this uh, practitioner program to to really come to realize <laughs> that it really has nothing to do with what words. I just, you know, I just feel God, uh, feel God's presence and feel, and it, I just believe it's true. It's about the heart about the heart and your belief. It doesn't matter what you say. That's why you shouldn't be hard on yourself. Yes, yes. It comes it really does come down to the intention of the heart. Anyone else? Yeah, for me, the prayer of the heart really is a feeling. And it is that feeling that God hears. The, uh, not so much the words themselves. The words can uh, evoke a feeling within you, but it's that feeling that uh, when you reach that level of feeling, this is what you're asking for. This is what you're feeling and when you come from that that uh, feeling place, you know this is what uh, the what God or the universe hears. And it says the only word of God has any meaning because only the word of God has any meaning because it symbolizes that which has no human symbols at all. And that's to me that's the feeling. Who else? Anyone? This, nothing, nothing new. I think we all get this in terms of 
the chakras, the fifth chakra is the voice. The And the voice and words, all words are separate, as we know. Uh, words define things. A tree is separate from the ground. So any use of words is always going to be separation. And then the sixth chakra is the Christ consciousness, the unity of everything. And it's interesting because it's, you you can be in silence and not use words and still understand, still have wisdom that goes beyond words and goes beyond understanding. And in terms of the words as symbols for the things that we want, we want peace and we want happiness or we want prosperity, but underneath that, underneath all those things, underneath all those words, what we really want is the peace of, of God. And so it doesn't matter what we're looking for in terms of external realities. The answer is always inside, always found in the silence that is filled with divine understanding, wisdom, and love. Beautiful. I'm going to pause there. Really wonderful discussion, guys. A lot of clarity. A lot of clarity. One practice that I use with my clients, and I'll invite you all to consider using this as well, is to help them get clear as to what it is that they're really interested in, their heart's true desire is I have them do um, write down everything they want. Just write down everything they want. New job, new body, new spouse, new partner, new whatever. You know, car, whatever it is. You know, relationship. And then we go down that list one by one. And I have them close their eyes. I have them visualize their life with that thing. And as they're in there and they're joining, it can be a really playful experience. I ask them to get really clear on how it feels, what feelings are coming up. And then when they write down those feelings, then we're getting more clarity as to what it is they're actually interested in because the thing or the accomplishment of the thing is just a symbol for the feeling or the quality, the spiritual quality that is being called forth to be expressed. And since we live in this material world, the material realm, we translate, we believe that the thing, the material thing, is going to bring us that feeling. And it's backwards. So, have them write down the feeling that comes up, and then they get clarity on, oh. So what I'm really interested in is feeling loved. It's not necessarily about having a boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm really interested in the experience of feeling loved or feeling successful or feeling worthy. All of that is always underneath the surface there, and it's a very simple process that you can use to support them and going clear with that. Now, what I've also experienced is I've found this to be most 
most true with artists. No offense to the artists in the room at all. But when I show, when I we do this process, and I see, and I say, so you see, your the career, the career as a professional artist, as an actor, as a whatever. That's not what the, your heart's true desire is, because remember, God, God doesn't care about form. You know, it's all an illusion. It's all the same to Him. It's not. It doesn't mean anything. It's the feeling of worthiness. It's the feeling of freedom. It's the feeling of feeling successful. It's feeling fulfilled. That's what's coming up to be recognized. That's what's coming up to be expressed. It's not necessarily getting paid to be a professional actor. And it's at that point where oftentimes I lose that client because they're not interested in that perspective. They're like, no, I want you to help me become a professional actor. (laughs) I need you to give me tips so I can go in and really rock the audition or whatever. And I just say, you know, if you do this work, if you apply this work, if you go continue to go towards the things that bring you joy, you know, in acting, then you can't not win. You'll have to. But get clear as to what's really coming up. It doesn't mean that you have to put aside your ambition. It's just getting clear as to what you're truly interested in. The other component of this uh, teaching that I really love was the handing over what you're going to say and allow spirit to work through you. I've had this experience, I mean, especially probably the last year of when I teach on Sundays, when I offer my sermon on Sundays, you know, I hand over every single teaching to God, to Holy Spirit, and I am shocked sometimes at the direction that it goes. I have, you know, I set out with a whole idea, a whole plan of what I thought I was going to talk about and the direction in which it should take. And sometimes things come out of my mouth that I, was, I am flabbergasted by. But I choose to believe that I'm worthy enough to be a channel for love, to be a channel of God. And part of that for me is accepting that I get to be, uh, that I, that that comes through, that it's the Holy Spirit talking through my life experiences from the pulpit. And that's what we do with every counseling session as well. Like, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know. But it's an aspect of creation that we have access to that does. And so we hand it over to them. We get so attached on what we're going to tell them, what words we're going to use. So many of us, too, when we're speaking in public speaking, we want to sound intelligent. You know, we don't want to, um, we don't want to choke. But that's, too, that's just in the realm of the ego. A skilled practitioner understands that we offer up every experience of the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to do the talking for us. And we say, in complete alignment with our loving intention to be a teacher of God, to be a channel for peace. Any last thoughts on this section? Just, Jesse, um, you know, when you're talking about people's hearts and their intentions, 
basically what you're saying, which I also believe is everybody, it's, uh, whatever they do, it's like a, a cry for love. So whatever comes out, however it looks, isn't everybody just want love? I mean, really, who doesn't? Is there any expression that's not, when you get down to it, just basically that? Well, that's it. That's, you know, that's that's where, you know, we say that our will and God's will are one. God's will is our perfect happiness. How is perfect happiness achieved? Through aligning with God. Through understanding that we are one with God. That's how true happiness is achieved. It's not through material success. We are taught to believe otherwise. And so there is still that innate desire to be happy. And we just believe, we're just confused. We think that getting stuff is going to make us happy. You know, acquiring a certain position in life, certain job, title, place, living in a certain place, whatever is going to make us happy. Because that's what we were taught. Being a celebrity will make us happy. It will make us more valuable and worthy of, and worthy of being loved. And so if we can peel away the layers, like it says, you know, get clear on what those symbols are. If we can really empower ourselves to get clear as to what we're truly interested in is being loved and it's become 100% committed to experiencing that love here and now no matter what the outside circumstances look like, then we prepare, we, we position ourselves to be in a state of miracle readiness. You're cooking with, uh, you're cooking with gas then. So I'd like to move on to the next section just because it was my goal to, uh, by the end of um, this year, I'd like, to get all, I'd like to be all the way through the Manual for Teachers. There's just so much to talk about. Okay. So 22, how are healing and atonement related? So this reading order, um, since there's there is seven parts, so we'll do three readers. No, we'll do we'll do four readers. We'll do four readers. We'll go um, Mar. You'll read first, and then Chris Tompkins, and then Sean. Did you just read? You did just read, right? Did you say Sashant? Yeah, you just read. No, I, no, I haven't. Oh, oh he didn't. Okay. So we'll do Mar, Chris, Sushant, and Tom. Mar, Chris, Sushant, and Tom, in that order. And Mina, I'm not ignoring you. How are healing and atonement related? Healing and atonement are not related. They are identical. There is no order of difficulty in miracles because there are no degrees of atonement. It is the one complete concept possible in this world because it is the source of a wholly unified perception. Partial atonement is a meaningless idea, just as special areas of hell and heaven are inconceivable. Accept the atonement and you are healed. Atonement is a word of God, 
accept his word and what remains to make sickness possible. And okay, I'm sorry. Uh, accept his word and what remains to make sickness possible. Accept his word and every miracle has been accomplished. To to forgive is to heal. The teacher of God has taken accepting the atonement for himself as his only function. What is there then? He cannot heal. What miracle can be withheld from him? The progress of the teacher of God may be slow or rapid, depending on whether he recognizes the atonement's inclusiveness or for a time excludes some problem areas from it. In some cases, there is a sudden and complete awareness of the perfect applicability of the lesson of the atonement to all situations, but this is comparatively rare. The teacher of God may have accepted the function of the function God has given him long before he has learned all that his acceptance holds out to him. It is only the end that is certain. Anywhere along the way, the necessary realization of inclusiveness may reach him. If the way seems long, let him be content. He has decided on the direction he wants to take. What more was asked of him? And having done what was required, would God withhold the rest? That forgiveness is he- that forgiveness is healing needs to be understood. If the teacher of God is to make progress, the idea that a body can be sick is a central concept in the ego's thought system. This thought gives the body autonomy, separates it from the mind, and keeps the idea of attack inviolate. If the body could be sick, atonement would be possi- would be impossible. A body that can order a mind to do as it sees fit could merely take the place of God and prove salvation is impossible. What, then, is left to heal? The body has become lord of the mind. How could the mind be returned to the Holy Spirit unless the body is killed? And who would want salvation at such a price? Certainly, sickness. Oh, is it me? It's Tom. Oh, sorry. Certainly, sickness does not appear to be a decision, nor would anyone actually believe he wants to be sick. Perhaps he can accept the idea in theory, but it is rarely, if ever, consistently applied to all specific forms of illness, both in the individual's perception of himself and all others as well. Nor is it at this level that the teacher of God calls forth the miracle of healing. He overlooks the mind and body, seeing only the face of Christ shining in front of him, correcting all mistakes and healing all perceptions. Healing is a result of the recognition by God's teacher of who it is that is in need of healing. This recognition has no special reference. It is true of all things that God created. In it are all illusions healed. When a teacher of God fails to heal, it is because he has forgotten who he is. Another sickness thus becomes his own, and allowing this to happen, he has identified with another's ego, and has thus confused him with a body. In so doing, he has refused to accept the atonement for himself, and can hardly offer it to his brother in Christ's name. He will, in fact, be unable to recognize his brother at all, for his father did not create bodies, and so he is seeing in his brother only the unreal. Mistakes do not correct correct mistakes. 
and distorted perceptions does not heal. Step back now, teacher of God. You have been wrong. Lead not the way, for you have lost it. Turn quickly to your teacher and let yourself be healed. The offer of atonement is universal. It is equal, equally applicable to all individuals in all, in, in all circumstances. And in it is the power to heal all individuals of all forms of sickness. Not to believe this is to be unfair to God and thus unfaithful to him. A sick person perceives himself as separate from God. Would you see him as separate from you? It is your task to heal the sense of separation that has made him sick. It is your function to recognize for him that what he believes about himself is not the truth. It is your forgiveness that must show him this. Healing is very simple. Atonement is received and offered. Having been received, it must be accepted. It is in the receiving, then, that healing lies. All else must follow from the single purpose. Who can limit the power of God himself? Who then can say which one can be healed of what and what must remain beyond God's power to forgive? This is insanity indeed. It is not up to God's teachers to set limits upon him because it is not up to them to judge his son. And to judge his son is to limit his father. Both are equally meaningless, yet this will not be understood until God's teachers, until God's teacher recognizes that they are the same mistake. Kieran does he receive atonement, for he withdraws his judgment from the Son of God, accepting him as God created him. No longer does he stand apart from God, determining where healing should be given and where it should be withheld. Now can he say with God, this is my beloved Son, created perfect and forever so. Sushant finished my sentence. All healing is done on the level of the mind. Can someone be moving through the experience of having cancer and be perfectly healed? Yes. At the, at the same time? Yes. So can someone be perfectly healed and still be going through the experience of cancer? Yes. How is that so? Because... Um, we don't know what anything is for. So, like, the body is there to, you know, like, if healing is not the level of the mind, the level of the mind um, is, like, you can have a certain way of thinking, but the cancer might be something else that might not necessarily be related to the mind. Like, it might be a soul contract, or it might be, like something else that you're working through, but knowing that you are perfect, whole, and complete, and you're a child of God is like believing that through whatever you're going through. Yeah, so it would mean that someone can be going through the experience of cancer and be perfectly at what? Perfectly as, is that what you said? Perfectly as what? No, no, no. Someone to be going through the experience of cancer and be perfectly at oh at peace. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's healing. That's true healing. Because remember, God doesn't 
communicate at the level of form. God doesn't operate at the level of form. Body is form. Body is the central figure of a dream. So God doesn't care if the body has cancer, one leg, one brown eye, one green eye. God doesn't care if the body appears to be black, white, Asian, all that. That's all us. We've, we've decided all that. We've decided if something happens to the body, it's awful, it's bad, you know. And so a challenge that I'm putting forth to all of you practitioners is to never, from this part forward, ever affirm if somebody tells you that they are moving through an experience of illness at the level of the body, that we affirm it to be a bad thing. Now, does that mean we are not compassionate? So, Mar, how does one... How does one listen compassionately, act compassionately without affirming that the appearance of uh, dis-ease or ailment at the level of the body is bad? Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I have some trouble hearing. So how do we show compassion? Um, Ask me the question again because you're kind of going in and out a little bit. I'm sorry. Okay, how do we listen compassionately and act compassionately when someone shares that they're moving through the experience of having a disease or an ailment at the level of the body without affirming that it's a bad thing? I am um, I mean I, I think that the only thing I can say is reminding this person that they're one with God. I mean I can't judge it. I mean I, I don't know that I would even come from a place of judgment. I think for me, it's just allowing people to have their experience and feel whatever it is you're going to feel. Um, well, well, you're actually going right in the right direction because what do we have compassion for? If we know that the, if we know just as the practitioner, now we don't have to enroll them into anything, right? But if we're standing in our knowing that we are not these bodies, that a dis-ease or ailment is not a bad thing, what are we having compassion for? Because that person, you know, if they're, if they're trying to enroll you into a story that, it's, that there's something bad happening, something wrong happening, what are they probably feeling? What are they probably experiencing? Well, they're, they're, they're experiencing discomfort. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... Um, I mean, I... I I mean, personally, for me, it's not even about whether it's bad or good. I mean, people are experiencing what they're experiencing, and I'm sorry, but if you're in pain, you're in pain. And if you think this is a bad thing because you are in pain, well, I've been in pain, you know? And oftentimes when I'm in pain, I'm not necessarily thinking that 
you know, I'm spirit and I'm one with God. I'm feeling pain. And so I also don't want people to, you know, I want people to go through their experience, you know, because this whole idea that their illness doesn't exist, well, it does exist, you know, and I really do think that it's really about how they deal with their illness. I I don't, you know, I can tell you all day long that you're not your body, but if you are feeling pain or you are discomfort, you're feeling uncomfortable, I think it's very difficult to separate yourself from that. And sometimes I have problems with that, with, with relating to that, that aspect of it. You know okay. what I'm saying, okay. I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And I think that you're, uh, I think maybe I'm not communicating what I'm asking clearly enough. Rarely would I ever tell anyone who comes to me in upset because of a diagnosis that, oh, you're not your body, honey. So you're just believing something that isn't happening. Who would say that? That's ridiculous. Now, I can know it. Because some people do say things like that in the spiritual community. Well, well, that's not our spiritual community. That's not what we're doing. So this is is what we're doing, okay? Uh, Because we have to be able to communicate to people at the level that they can hear, right? while at the same time being standing firmly in the truth. So we have compassion for the experience that they're moving through. We have compassion because we see that they're moving through an experience of fear. Like you said, discomfort. They're scared. So we have compassion for all of that. We support them. We're gentle with them. We love them through that. And we also know that, for, that this is unfolding for their greatest good. We don't know why. We don't need to know why. We just get to understand that it is. And it's not about convincing anybody or saying something that's going to make you look like an asshole because what's the point in that? What good are you doing if you're just trying to shove your belief, which might not be their belief, down their throat? No, we hold the space of truth and we move forward compassionately and we hold the truth in our minds to them. And we pray for them at the level of the truth, at truth. So that's what we're having compassion for. We listen clearly. And we have compassion for the experience that they're moving through. One really valuable teaching that Marianne Williamson gave uh, was about our social contracts and how we are playing in a society in which there are certain rules of society, meaning, um, and it's sort of what Edwin Gaines says, don't get so spiritual that you're no earthly good, meaning you have to be able to connect and communicate with the people you're serving. If you start going into a lot of spiritual babble that's irrelevant and oftentimes misinterpreted and oftentimes your ego just projecting your BS onto someone else or your fear of having to confront some of the, the appearances of messiness that life will bring to you, then you're not being a real effective practitioner. Now, we are the truth holders. So we hold the truth and we listen deeply and we practice compassionately. But the compassion is never for the thing. Because we have to know, and this is the one thing that we have to be immovable on, is we have to know that it's not bad. 
We're not going to celebrate the illness either, but we're going to trust that it's unfolding for their greatest good. We don't have to know why. We don't know why. We can't know why. Right. You know, but we just trust that whatever reason, this is your experience, honey. This is part of your individualized curriculum. We don't have to say that either. You know, we just hold the space of neutrality and keep them, do our best to support them in aligning with peace so they can experience peace during the process. And one other thing, and this is a very important thing, everybody, that we all must really hold, like stand firmly in. And this, has, this will confront every ounce of your self-worth if you have any worthiness issues. You must know like you know that you know. And again, I'll say this has been the most challenging thing for me as a minister. That if someone is coming to you with their shit, with their guns ablazing, and that might be they're raging on you, they are, uh, you know, they're, they're coming at you really needing you to co-sign on, on their story that something awful happened to them and they're really needing you to do it. We do not do it because we, because we have declared ourselves to be practitioners, teachers of God. If they're coming to us with it, it's because on the soul level, they are ready to heal it. And so that's why we have to be unwavering in our understanding. That God is all there is. That our greatest good is always unfolding. By greatest good, that means whatever is unfolding is taking us closer to our awareness of our oneness with God in some capacity. doesn't always look like we get what we want. But our greatest good is always unfolding. Does that make sense, Mark? No, it, it really does. And I, I think, you know, I, I think for me it's about giving them the the space to feel whatever it is that they're feeling. Of course. Um, you know, I it's it's interesting because one thing, you know, that I I've, I've seen people do oftentimes when somebody's ill or they're dealing with something, sorry, I'm going to close this window cuz people are hammering. Um but um you know, one of the things that I one of my biggest pet peeves is when somebody's going through something and I know that oftentimes people don't have words, but I'd rather for you not to say anything to me um, than say something like, it's all going to be okay. Um, because at that particular moment, maybe it's not okay with that individual. And just even allowing people or giving people the space to um, have that experience or have that moment, I think is really important. I mean, for me personally. Um, so I, I would just want that, that, that individual to feel whatever it is that they need to feel at that moment and support them in, in whatever they're feeling. Yes, but we can support them in having their experience without co-signing on the story that it's awful. Does that make sense? No, it it does. It makes sense. And and I I wouldn't say that. I I would never say to somebody that that is awful. Um. But I think that I would want people to sort of allow people to sort of maneuver in in their their own way. Um. 
Well, that's essential. It's essential because we also have to know that, you know, we, we have to know that what's unfolding is for the greatest good. So the feelings they're experiencing are for their greatest good. And so right. they're like, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm upset. We can acknowledge that and say, I know, honey. I know you are. I know you are. And that's okay. You get to feel however you need to feel. That's okay. And honor, trust that those feelings are exactly what need to be coming up for that person. And if they ask you, why aren't you scared for me? You can say, because I, you know, I believe that you're going to be taken care of. I believe that everything's okay. Even if it doesn't look or turn out the way we want it to, I still believe that you're going to be okay. And I know that you're scared. Of course you're scared. And you get to be scared. You can be scared as long as you need to. And so I'm going to hold the high watch for you. I'm going to be here for you, and I'm going to know the truth for you. And I'm always here for you. Right. You know? Right, exactly. And, and like you were saying, we don't know what anything is for. And mm-hmm. I think that also it sort of um, goes back to the whole idea of attaching ourselves to to a certain outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of um, having this idea of how everything is supposed to look like, and nobody knows what anything is supposed to look like. And so mm-hmm. um, I would also allow for for the space for things to not necessarily look the way that we think that they're supposed to look. And, and again, like it's amen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like. And sort of, sort of providing a neutral space for people. Um, yeah, and 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 just reminding them of, along the way as well that even if it doesn't look the way you think it's going to look, it's still okay. It just doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look, or you'd like it to look, and it's still okay. You're still breathing. You're still here, right? So, right. Yeah. No, and I, always go ahead. But I mean, it's it's really. Um, I sometimes ask myself, where is that fine line between holding the space and having compassion? Because I think sometimes it might be easy to fall into that place where you are supporting um, their idea that this might be an awful thing. Um, I I, I see it sometimes with myself and I see it with other people oftentimes where you kind of feel helpless. well, you know, a lot of times people will come to you just to let it out, you know, and they're not really interested in any other story than the one that they're offering. You know what I mean? And that, those are the times that you're going to feel like, ooh, I don't feel like I can even, you know, this person just wants me to, you know. I mean, a lot of people just share so they can share. And listen, we are allowed to listen. We're always allowed to listen. And the important thing, Mark, and what we've really got to get really good at is in those moments, in every moment, just to yourself while they're sharing, just say, Holy Spirit, I'm handing this over to you because I don't know. I don't know how to deal with this. And then just trust what unfolds next because the Holy Spirit will know exactly what needs to be said to support the highest good, the highest level of love expression. And oftentimes, like, I, I, I used to watch Reverend Jennifer because she was so impeccable with her words. Like, if someone was really going off and she could tell that they weren't really interested in hearing anything, they just wanted to share their story, I would just hear her just, like, she just nod and just and just nod, you know, just look at them and nod. 
you know, because oftentimes, and this is also a very important thing to remember, guys, we are not, you know, not everyone is selecting us to be their teacher, you know, and the most advanced teachers that I've ever observed have been very quiet and never offer their perspective or opinion unless they are asked. But since they are impeccable with their word and operate from a high level of integrity, if you ask them, they're going to tell you. And I hold the space more that you get to that space too where you feel grounded enough and aligned enough and confident enough that if someone asks you what you think, you can tell them what you really think. Because they're asking. And again, holding that space that if they're asking you specifically, Mar Hobbs, spiritual practitioner, spiritual counselor, they're asking you, it's because they're, they're, they're looking for the spiritual truth. They're ready for, they're ready to heal it. Even if you think they're not going to understand you, you're going to come off looking like a, an idiot. Right. I, you know, I think one of the things that, that would be important for me is to allow them to feel whatever they're going to feel and also provide the space for them to feel comfortable in feeling whatever they're feeling because I think sometimes people judge themselves for feeling the way that they feel. Of course. Um, and so I, I think that that, for me personally, would be something that, that would be really important and, 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 and just being able to provide that space for them where they feel absolutely okay and feeling whatever it is that they're feeling. Yeah. Of course, it's always okay. And we have no control over what they're going to feel at any given time. You know? And I've really had to learn that. Like, there are certain personalities that I just do not gel with. They really ruffle my feathers. Because it goes in that direction too, Mar, is there are a lot of people that are very aggressive. There are people that are complainers. There are people that are kind of feel like they're a little bit of bullies in many ways. And that's just their personalities and that's just their feelings and they're quick to judge, they're quick to attack. And I've had to learn, I have to give them their space to do that as well. And that makes that bad. Even though most people would say, well, they're just an asshole. Well, I have to give them their space without judgment to have that experience as well. You know, so we always allow people to have their authentic experience, you know, and we don't know what's best for anyone, but we continue to hold the space that we continue to remind ourselves of what's true for ourselves. We continue to remind ourselves of what's true and we stand in that love. Love is the great healer. So we've gone five minutes over. I really love the conversations today. I feel like we're really going deep. I uh, really applaud everyone's willingness to really go there, have these deep conversations. It's beautiful, beautiful work. And let us pray. Let's go into prayer. And just, oh, seeking in that gratitude so grateful to have the space and the environment and the opportunity to have these conversations. So grateful for each and every caller on this line. So grateful for your willingness to show up. Grateful for your desire to express lovingly 
your truth. So beautiful. Mm, yes. And we offer up any, any blocks that might prevent us from experiencing a deep awareness of love's presence here and now. We stand in the light of truth that we are children of God, that there's nothing broken in us, there's nothing to fix. We allow the light of the divine to shine freely as our life. I'm knowing this for everyone on the call, and I'm especially knowing this for Patsy. I'm knowing that where she is, God is. I'm knowing that she is an expression of perfect beauty. I'm knowing that she is fully healed. There is nothing to adjust. There is nothing to mend. I know that Patsy is a channel of love, that each breath she takes is sacred. I know that God speaks through her, that God is guiding her to be exactly where she needs to be so she can do exactly what she needs to do to support the awakening of all. Yes, we are all waking up together. So we dedicate this session this conversation, this healing to every sentient being, especially those who feel alone, those who feel afraid, those who feel like they can't. We are knowing that they can and they are. And in grace and gratitude, we go forward with our hearts and minds opened in a state of celebration because there is so much good to celebrate. And so it is. Amen. 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 All right, my friends. Go have a beautiful day. For those of you who are volunteering at Pride, today I'll see you at the booth. Unless you're there late, I will not see you as I have a friend's birthday party tonight that uh, my husband committed me to during Pride weekend because he's insane, but we love him anyway. And um, I, uh, oh, and I also look forward to marching with you guys on Sunday. So peace and love, many blessings. And uh, catch you on the down low. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.